Hey everyone, welcome back to It Here in Apologetics. As always, brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Joanna Leidenhog. Um, she completed her PhD in systematic and philosophical theology at the University of Edinburgh. Um, she does a lot of work in analytic philosophy of mind and the doctrine of creation. So we're going to be talking about those two topics today: um, the doctrine of creation, consciousness, so much fun stuff. But um, Dr. Leidenhog, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my absolute pleasure. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited for this conversation to talk about like creation and consciousness and uh, how the mind fits into all of it. There's so much fun stuff here, so many big questions. But before we get into that, can you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do in case someone doesn't know who you are? Of course. Um, so, yes, my name is Joanna Leidenhog and I work at the University of St. Andrews currently as a lecturer in science engaged theology. Um, so I work in the theology department. I'm a systematic theologian thinking about the Christian faith um, thinking about what kind of truth claims the Christian faith can and does make. Um, and I'm doing trying to do that in the dialogue with the natural sciences as well. Yeah, that's so much fun. So what are you interested in, like the doctrine of creation and these big questions surrounding like the topic that we're going to be discussing today? Yeah, so I got into the doctrine of creation for kind of two reasons. Um, on the one hand, as someone interested in science and religion, science and Christianity in particular, the doctrine of creation is like an obvious place within Christian teaching um, to spend one's time to think about and to read about, because it's the doctrine of creation that I think grounds our understanding of what nature is that the natural sciences are investigating, right? So there's an automatic series of questions that flow out of the science religion kind of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, the other reason is I was actually more interested initially in humanity, in what's called theological anthropology, what it means to be human, what it means to be made in the image of God. But I quickly discovered or thought that actually you can't understand what it means to be human if you don't understand creation, because first and foremost, humans are creatures. We are members of God's creation. We're part of God's creation. We're not different fundamentally from creation. We're made on the sixth day along with all the other animals, right, in the stories of Genesis. So um, I think we need to understand the doctrine of creation before we can really understand theological anthropology. So I got drawn into the doctrine of creation for those two reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's going to be a really interesting doctrine to talk about today. Um, but for you, like you and your views, consciousness is such an, a very important thing to, with like the doctrine of creation. It's something that I didn't like put together for a little bit until like I've listened to you and heard of it. And I, it makes more sense as I think about it. Could you talk about how like consciousness is such an important thing to think about as we get into like this idea of the doctrine of creation? Right. So exactly tying into what I just said about having to put humanity in creation mm -hmm. um, in our thinking, as it were. Um, that goes for consciousness too. So um, consciousness is often reserved very absolutely for humanity in our philosophical and theological discussions. Um, but even if, if, even if it is just reserved for humanity, it's therefore part of creation because humanity is part of creation. So I wanted to move our discussions of consciousness in the mind um, out of um, a kind of separate sphere that makes it very difficult to understand um, and, and put it in a in a Christian context of the doctrine of creation. Um, so my own understanding is something a little wacky, but uh, mm -hmm. I think it could be right. At least it could yeah. be. Um, mm -hmm. And that's called panpsychism, which suggests that consciousness is more widespread to creation than we normally think of. And I think this view doesn't need to suggest 
anything unchristian um or unorthodox so it doesn't need to suggest pantheism or pantheism or um polytheism um it it can be a thoroughly christian view that god creates consciousness um and consciousness is fundamental to god's creation mm-hmm. yeah yeah, so I'm just trying to like um, understand your view a little bit here on panpsychism because I'm no expert on this topic, but just trying to understand it. So would you say that kind of like we have God who's like the fundamental source of reality, who's conscious, and then he creates like our universe and like with like every like little bit of matter or electron, like he also creates like a little bit of consciousness into like each bit of matter? Or is that kind of how that would work? That's roughly how it would view. So when God creates everything from nothing, um, which is how I think God created, um mm-hmm consciousness was part of that everything as it were that god creates at the beginning from nothing it's not something that god interjects into creation later on um say with the evolution or emergence of the human species i think consciousness is is part of the basic ingredients of our of our natural universe of our created Mm -hmm. universe Mm. yeah yeah so i think it'd be helpful at this point just to give like a very like um we talked about like god creating consciousness and panpsychism but just give a very quick like overview of your view of like how do we get from like um god creating the universe to like us existing because you know there's all different kinds of like models like is the earth six thousand years old was it like gaps of creation is it just like evolution and natural processes with god kind of like steering it so like could you give like a brief overview on like kind of like your view of like how we get to where we are today um especially with like the regards to like the origin of man yeah absolutely so as i've said i think consciousness is is one of the many ingredients um of the, of the created world of the natural order um and that and therefore after that i actually just want to follow um what i see to be the scientific um standard story of evolution but without the philosophical um importation that that means atheism or naturalism i i think we can have a story of very slow evolutionary change and development um mutation uh, genetic inheritance um that's that tracks pretty much identically onto the standard scientific picture um and um and includes consciousness in that evolution so evolution so through the processes of evolution as matter becomes more complex um more complexly integrated forms more intricate structures um that can do more amazing things so as brains develop effectively from single-celled organism to multi-celled organisms to um, n- very complex nervous systems that we find in um, humanity and a wide range of other animal species, then um, consciousness, like matter, gets more complicated. It gets more mm. sophisticated and we get um, what we currently experience and think of as minds, as subjects, uh, evolving out of um, the the basic building blocks of the natural world. And this allows us to say that humanity, because we have the most sophisticated bodies in the sense of um, integrated um, brains and nervous systems, it makes sense that we would have the most sophisticated uh, minds, that we would be more intelligent, um, more creative, and all those sorts of things, self-conscious, and that that would actually be fairly unique um, to humanity, while still saying that other animals can have some some level of in, of mind or some level of intelligence too. So um, people experience this maybe with their pets. We 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 acknowledge that other species can build nests or um, you know like there is clearly some mentality going on there. But it's not 
as sophisticated as humanity. But this evolutionary picture can give us that, um, I think, in quite a realistic way. Mm. Yeah, this is great. And it's a good transition as we're going to talk about like the evolutionary process and like, why would God use evolution and natural, even all these like fun and important questions that kind of come from like this basic ideas that you're kind of bringing forth here. Uh, before we get into some of the specifics, I think it'd be helpful to just talk about like the problem of evil in general. In the past, some philosophers would have said like, it's just logically incompatible that there could be like all loving God and evil. Um, there's all different varieties of it. But, like, how would you respond to like the general challenge of the problem of evil? Like why, um, if we have like an all perfect, all loving God that exists, why do we experience evil today and like death, like even like back before there were humans with like the evolutionary kind of like idea? Yeah, I think um, that I think it's a mistake to think that there's a general problem of evil. A general problem of evil can only give a very general answer, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah. it's often much more helpful if we break this down into smaller problems and. Mm -hmm. Um, and because there are lots of because there are actually lots of problems here. Like, let's be honest about that. It's not an easy area for theology or philosophy for anybody um, that we should have very different answers to the pastoral problem of evil, as it were, um, to um, than to a logical problem of evil versus an evidentialist problem of evil. Uh, the idea that evil is evidence against God versus the idea that uh, evil is log incompatible logically with uh, belief in God. These are very different challenges actually and i don't think it makes sense to talk of a general challenge i think there's always we always have to get more specific than that um but i would say that um and that means that's it then that means that there's a range of different types of answers that a theologian or a christian can make right mm -hmm. so you have to first work out what is the actual question i'm being asked am i being asked mm -hmm. why did god let this happen to me right mm -hmm. which is a very different question to um, how can we explain death before uh, human origins? Right. Yeah. They're, they're just completely different questions. Mm -hmm. um, but they both come under this very large umbrella that we call the problem of evil. Mm -hmm. So that's my initial response. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be helpful to kind of dive into these specific things that we'll be talking about here in um, the next 10, 20 minutes or so. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about um, with regards to evolution is it seems like, like a lot of people, it's like like in Europe or stuff, but at least in the United States where I'm from, it's like it's like evolution versus creation. Like there's no way these two ideas can kind of like fit together. Like if evolution's true, then God is dead and Christians should just pack up their bags and go home and it's over. Um, so like when, why do you think that like this theory of evolution is just totally compatible um with like a christian theism that we would like experience and we would believe in again there's a number of ways that evolution yeah. and Christianity <laughs> can be discussed so um and this goes actually for the evolution and christianity debate and the, the what i just said about the problem of evil is often mm. a lot of christian responses aren't about um, proving the truth of one's own position so much as showing that the problems that people think are there aren't really problems mm. um, so uh, a common one is the idea that all say Christianity says that uh, God created the earth in seven days because that's what we find in Genesis one. And it just takes some um, in one sense, fairly basic or um, biblical studies knowledge to know that, um, that, that the book of Genesis is not a scientific text. Um, that it's doing quite different work, um, that days didn't necessarily correspond to 24-hour periods, which wouldn't make any sense before the invention of the sun anyway. Um, and those sorts of things, like it quickly breaks down the idea. And, it's, and then you discover that in the history of Christianity, very few theologians 
have taught that that's what Genesis 1 means. It's actually not something that people widely um, considered to be what Genesis 1 was for or what it was about mm. until um, really the late 19th and early 20th century, right? So um, this sets up a problem that that isn't really a problem. Mm. Um, and this can be true of all different parts of the evolution Christianity debate, that, that we think we see a problem and often the work of, a, I think, a Christian apologist isn't to say, I'm right, you're wrong. It's to say, um, actually, this isn't so much of a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this is great. So one thing I want to talk about is like from a Christian perspective here with like regards to the theory of evolution um, is the question of like why I think God would use um, evolution as like the process for like originating um, human beings. Like if we think about it, we have like an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving being, and there's a lot of different ways he could have created you and me, but um, it seems like he may have used this like process of evolution to create us like um from like a theological perspective like answering like the christian why would god use a process like evolution to kind of create you and me yeah i it's a hard one to think about just Mm -hmm. like what other options could god have is a hard Mm -hmm. question to think about because um god didn't use any other options he he made us this way right so Mm -hmm. it's thinking through the counterfactual is very difficult yeah um and so it's very difficult for us if not impossible to really weigh the pros and cons of different methods of which god could have used to create um Mm. because we don't know what those pros and cons would be because we've actually only got one uh one reality to to, to grasp on and so we can see pros and cons in this reality we can see um the pros in the sense of um, a wide diversity of life forms um great integrity in in using in not just creating things kind of by divine fiat out of um um with only god's power but actually giving power to creation to create Mm -hmm. is a beautiful i think a beautiful thing and shows that god's power is one of empowerment of others rather than a kind of power that controls and dominates right and that's also testified in the story of jesus and in in the holy spirit in the church it's it's an empowering of of the weak making the weak strong right and so we can have a kind of theological view of some of the benefits of evolution that way and we can have a a theological view of some of the costs of evolution um the the competition the death the um um, that, but at the same time, um, it's hard to, I think those have been a little overemphasized. So just a, where there's competition, survival of the mm-hmm. fittest, there's also cooperation, cooperation between species and even some minimal levels of ultra altruism in mm-hmm. evolution. Um, the two go hand in hand. I don't think evolution is an inherently bad, evil um, or, a, or immoral way for God to have chosen Uh, natural processes to work but i don't think it's amazingly good either i think Mm. it's kind of ambiguous um i think you can view it both ways Mm. yeah this is great so um kind of going into like the theory of evolution from maybe like the atheist perspective here um they can look at the data and just see evidence that supports evolution they just wonder um like how could like an all-loving god allow this because yes evolution would have lots of cooperation lots of life but also it would involve lots of death lots of like things like suffering or starvation or all these like seemingly very like horrendous evils um so like answering from like an atheistic kind of like argument like why would god allow um if he could rage to use a process that involves like this much seemingly meaningless like suffering and death um when he didn't seem like he would have had to i mean 
I don't know whether God had to or not. Um, Uh I I don't know what options there could be. Um, And I don't also um, think that God owes us an answer to that. Mm, Um, I, I think we can be perplexed by it. I think God allows, and sometimes in the Bible even encourages us to bring these hard questions. Why would you do it that way? Um, and ask for insight. Um, I, I don't know whether we would get it, but God encourages us to to have that kind of relationship where we can mm. where we can ask um, and not be ashamed of that. But at the same time, I don't think God owes us an answer. Um, yeah, we're part of the creatures here, right? We're not part mm. of the we're not the one who decided. Um, and we do we do know that this the the life on this earth is highly unusual the only planet we currently know of that can support really any form of life sophisticated life um and that the chances of life are so infinitesimally small um so I, I think it's like on balance i mean again this is like hugely complex problems that are very hard to think about mm-hmm. and on balance yeah. it's hard to know where to come out is life on earth a kind of miracle or is it a kind of um kind of tragedy because of its cost and as i say we kind of want to say both Mm -hmm. um i don't think it's clear cut i um and i also think there has to be something in this conversation not just of kind of hypotheticals and our views of what it means for god to be good and our views of what it means for god to be rational and um and those sorts of things but also we need to include um, the Christian narrative into this. So we need to start from an understanding that God too says the world is not as it should be. This isn't the perfect way for the world to be, right? God says that. And maybe um, the suffering that you're referring to, the evils that you're referring to are part of that, part of those things that God doesn't want, doesn't intend. Mm. Um, It's very hard to be definitive on that, uh, Mm -hmm. but... Um, that's got to be part of the conversation too. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. Um, So I think if I'm like kind of like from understanding your perspective, like we have like um, this very like lots of good reasons to think like they're really God and like Jesus incarnate and like the Christian message, like we can accept this. Um, And we have this like for these reasons Then we have this like seeming evidence that looks like evolution is true. Um, you know, you could always debate that, but you, it looks like it's true. And like, why would God use this process? Well, it doesn't, we don't have to have it necessarily the exact answer, but then we'd have all this information like over here that, that really would suggest that there is a God, that Jesus really did rise from the dead, things like that. Um, so the two fit together some way. It's just, we don't have to have all the answers. We can just kind of follow like God's word, like the book of um, like the law and stuff and then also like the book of nature is that kind of like what your view is regarding like this topic kind of um i mean i certainly don't think we it depends have to have all the answers i'm sure we'd like yeah. to have all the answers mm-hmm. um yeah. but um i don't think we have i think we will one day i think that's important mm. to say i i don't yeah. think it's that these questions don't matter and that we don't mm-hmm. need answers um i think I think uh, it's perfectly reasonable for us to hope and in that sense expect that one day we'll understand. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the Christian hope and faith comes in, which says that and on that day, we will be able to say it was all worth it. We'll be able to say that it was that it is good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
um, because life triumphs over death. I think without the resurrection of Jesus, we wouldn't be able to say any of that. We'd be able to, we'd, we'd just say, why the hell did you do it this way? And I'm not sure you're a good God at all. I, I mm. think really what um, the Christian hope and faith in, in able to affirm the goodness of God, and it is a goodness is one sense on faith, mm. is um, because of the, the, the claim that life has already, in some sense, triumphed over evil and over death. That God, mm. um, we don't really understand why he permits evil, but we know that he's defeated it. Um, mm. And what God has chosen to do about evil is what the Christian witness is about, rather than what God, why God permitted it in the first place. I think that's a question that, that we can't answer yet. Mm. Yeah, so um, one more question here, kind of, and then we'll go to a little bit of like live questions. I saw a few already, so we'll get into that for a few minutes. Um, but it's this question of like natural evil. So it's kind of fitting in with like everything we've talked about before. Um, but, you know, in the, our world today, we experience like earthquakes and tsunamis. And if we go back in history, you know, there's all kinds of events. If you go like the evolutionary history, you'd have like, I think it's five mass extinction events and like all these seeming like natural evils that can cause all this like seeming like chaos in the world. So when you look at like your view on like God and creation, how do you kind of like understand that with regards to like a loving God? And it seems like all this kind of like almost like chaos happening, um, not just including humanity, but before humanity uh, came into being. Yeah, I I think we have to be a little more careful with our evaluative judgments, right? So mm -hmm. you say chaos, uh, mm -hmm. a geologist might tell us, no, this was absolutely necessary for life to emerge. You needed yeah volcanic eruptions for the right nutrients to come up from the center of the earth so that carbon-based life forms could develop right mm -hmm. for example um so i think we have to be a bit careful with what we're labeling chaos and what we're labeling evil right so mm -hmm. I, I do think we maybe need to save some space for natural evil for the category of natural evil um but earthquakes and tsunamis aren't evil in and of themselves mm -hmm. they're evil when uh, we call them evil when lots of people die as a result. Mm. Um, but if an earthquake happens and no one's hurt, no one dies, is that an evil event? Mm. We probably don't think so. Um, in fact, um, it's probably a good event for other parts of the um, for our, for our ecological balance, right? For the the things that we need as an individual species and as a whole kind of ecosystem of species independent upon one another and independent on this planet um, to survive. Mm. So um, these events aren't evil in and of themselves. They're evil because they're um, because of the, they're mixed up in other forms of uh, of structures, of human structures and societies, um, and and can result basically in death. Um, and it's death that we consider evil. Basic boils down to most of the time. Mm. Um, and again, it's death that Christianity says has been uh, defeated in the resurrection of Jesus, even though we still die. So. Um, I think, I think uh, the question of natural evil is 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 difficult. But we first of all need to think about what's really evil about this, um, and what's not evil about it. Mm, yeah, that's great. Um, so what we'll do now is we'll go to a few live questions, um, and we'll just kind of do that, and then we'll start to wrap things up here. So if you have questions, super chats, we'll get a few. Of few. Um, we won't have forever. We'll have a little bit of time here. Um, we did have a super chat from Reho Boy for. 
um, no idea um, what that is. But thank you so much. I really appreciate your support. It means a lot. Um, and yeah, it just does. But a uh, question from BDS here, which says, um, if human consciousness is dependent on the physical human brain, was Jesus um, qua human not conscious until he was born? Um, so a question here regarding like the incarnation and panpsychism and all this fun stuff. So what's your response to this question? That's a really great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. Um, I'm not sure how to uh, think about the humanity of Jesus before his birth in general. Um, mm -hmm. I think certainly there's some element to which we want to say that um, God the Son um, was always intended to be incarnate as the as the human Jesus Christ. Um, but I don't but I, I think I would have to buy it currently anyway. I've not had very long to think about this one, but I currently think I would have to affirm that um, there's no human soul of Jesus that pre-exists the incarnation, I, I think, um, or human mind of Jesus, that there's God the Son pre-existent from all eternity and that God the Son assumes a human nature. Um, and as part of that human nature, he he gets a, a human mind. That's the two minds Christology. Mm -hmm. um, but that human mind is inextricably bound to his human body um, because it's just it's one holistic human nature. I don't like dividing up humans uh, absolutely into these different parts. I think we should, it's helpful to talk about them. I'm a dualist in that sense, um, but I don't think you can separate them. Um, mm. And that's part of my panpsychism. So, um, so the answer to that question is yes, uh, there's no human human consciousness in jesus though there is a divine consciousness in jesus prior to the incarnation i'm curious just here for a second with you um talking about like um your view in like panpsychism and consciousness um and how that all works with like new creation because if like our mind would seemingly like be attached to like our brain like if we don't have a brain it seems like we wouldn't have a mind kind of under panpsychism how does that work with like the new creation do we get the same brain or do we get like our memories put into like a new brain like how does that all work with your view regarding like the new creation and panpsychism yeah so i think um so this is, yeah, so you're really hitting home to like one of the good test questions for how I view humanity as part of creation, right? Mm, yeah. Because I think what that means is that the resurrection and at the new creation can't be like, oh, humans are carried on the same, but everything else I'm just going to, God can't say everything else, I'm just going to annihilate it and start again. Mm. I actually think um, what we see in the New Testament is a promise for the redemption of all things. Um, and that we use the language of new creation, like um, like I I am a new creation um, type language, mm -hmm. but that's not the utter annihilation and start from scratch, as if there was no first creation. It's the redemption of creation, and that means the redemption of the material world, the redemption mm -hmm. of my brain as much as of my soul, or mm -hmm. of um, the earth outside, the soil in my garden as much as of my memories. I think all mm -hmm. of these things will be made anew but with some continuity so they will still be these things they will still have in that sense a, a kind of numerical identity but they will be radically different um mm. because there will be no more suffering and no more death and all that sort of thing yeah definitely uh we do have another question here from um caruso apologetics which says uh what view on genesis one through three do you hold uh i i presume you're meaning how do I you know I've said I don't think there's scientific texts, for example. I, um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I trust 
my biblical scholar friends on this, um, my colleagues who work in biblical scholarship, who describe this, um, well, Genesis 1 to 11 is really the um, the textual unit, um, uh, most by, mostly by the priestly authors who are um, giving a primordial history. So I don't think a real, um, I don't think a physical history or a scientific history, but a primordial history, trying to understand the, um, to locate who God is and locate the the identity of the people of Israel. Um, in that sense, I'm quite comfortable with the language of myth, but I don't think myth means untruth, right? So I don't think myth is equivalent to fiction at all. Um, I think myth is a vehicle of carrying truth. Um, it's just not truth like um, a historical or scientific account of what happened. Um, but I think it can give us, re I think it's really important truths about our identities, about who God is, about our role, about our vocation. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you um, for your answer. So we are right around, we've answered some questions and stuff. So we're getting close to around time here. But do you have any kind of like last thoughts, things you didn't get to bring up? Because we we unpacked a lot here in just only like 30 minutes with like the doctrine of creation, evolution, things you didn't get to say that you want to bring up before we start to wrap things up here? Um, I guess if you want a concluding thought, it would be that in all of these discussions around, um, particularly around the problem of evil that we've talked about and evolution, um, I think we really have to bring them uh, I think we have to bring them into dialogue with the stories of Jesus um, and the stories of the New Testament and the narrative of scripture um, rather than get hung up on I, things that we think Christians have to believe philosophically or scientifically um, because Christians are always debating different philosophies and um, different uh, interdisciplinary or scientific ideas. And I think it's good to debate those. I think it's good to disagree about those. The thing that unites us as Christians is this narrative uh, and this person, Jesus. Um, and I think that's where a lot of our thinking has to be. Um, and I, that would be my advice to people. Yeah, that's great. So I just want to say thank you so much again for your time, um, Dr. Layden Hogg. It's been so much fun. So many great questions that we explored today in just a little bit of time. There's a link down below for people who want to follow your work. You can follow, go to your website and just kind of see everything that's going on there. You've published a lot of papers, so it's pretty cool to see. Um, so thank you all for tuning in. If you're new to here in Apologetics, as always, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, review. Everything helps. If you enjoy us, you can support us on Patreon.com. So here in Apologetics, your support means a lot, and you can do that now if you can. That'd be great. But Dr. Leidenhog, one more time, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you everyone for coming on the programmer, Jacob, Dean, and super chat that support means a lot. And thank you and have a good one and God bless.